Hello and welcome to another edition of a confession box. Unlucky number thirteen. I don't think so. I, my my all, my predictions are it will be a fantastic podcast in my opinion. Here with Ruan Jones here from the Irish Catholic newspaper. Here, um, Ruan, spring is in the air. I'm looking outside here into the industrial heartland of Sandyford. Uh, do you feel some spring cheer in the air? <laughs> I do. Uh, anytime the sun is shining, it makes a bit of a difference. Have a nice view of the Dublin mountains. Oh yeah, we actually can see the Dublin mountains here on a clear day, and it actually has cleared up as well. So we have this majestic view beaming into us for inspiration. Uh, discussing the Irish Catholic newspaper here in detail we have uh, a lot to go through a lot of uh, eclectic issues here wide-ranging we're going to begin with probably the most pressing issue in the Irish Catholic scene over the last week and that has been the closure of Veritas a long-standing uh, religious uh, company and uh, I think they produce books as well do they or is it just is publisher, it just publisher well. yeah and uh, it's been an institution in, in Irish Catholicism over the last number of years with lo- locations uh, with stores in prominent locations particularly Abbey Street which is just off O'Connell Street I remember going in as a very young child, Ruan, you know, to, to peruse and browse around the store. It's a sad loss. It is, though. It's a huge loss. Uh, it's a huge loss to its, to its customers. I mean, to the staff as well. There's about 80 staff whose, you know, our livelihoods are threatened by this, you know, and that's it's it's something that has to be taken into consideration. Uh, I mean, it's been on the market going since 1928. So, um, I mean, it's going to leave a huge gap. It's a publisher. It's a distributor. Uh, it's a central location for so many Catholic goods. I mean, at Christmas, at, at confirmations, at Easter, any of the holy seasons, that's that's what people think of. They think of Veritas. Um, and so I, where are they going to go now? I mean, I, I know I've spoken to some customers already who are, who are quite upset. You know, they're quite shocked by this for them. It came out of nowhere and they're really wondering why. Like, was there any other way? Could they have kept at least one shop going or an online system? But uh, the uh, chair of the company, Mr. Queenan, Mr. Queenan, he has said that, you know, they've faced a sustained business downturn and and uh, their hand was forced effectively. They saw no way of actually salvaging the commercial prospects of the company. I mean, if you look at it, the last decade has been very tough for Veritas. I mean, probably if it wasn't for the uh, investments, uh, loans from the Irish Bishops Conference or the Irish Bishops Trust, rather, that total, I mean, probably nearly a million euro at this stage. I mean, in 2023, they gave them a, a short-term loan of 400,000. So really, the, the the last 10 years has been one of, of struggles financially for Veritas. So I suppose it didn't come out of the blue in that sense. But I know for publishers, for religious publishers, for, for school books as well, I mean, if you think about it, that, that's where most of the catechetical and school book material, Catholic school book material is disseminated is through Veritas. So, I mean, who's going to take that on now? I mean, do the bishops have someone lined up for it? Um, like, who's going to take on Grow and Love? I know the big pro- uh, big uh, proposal, sorry, for a new catechetics program um, to meet the, the need for a ministry of catechetics. Who's going to publish that? Who's going to design it? I mean, is it going to go to a secular company? There's a lot of questions left up in the air. And just for the Catholic ecosystem, it's, it's a real blow. Uh, I mean, if you think about the fact that we have a similar process going underway in which really there's an emphasis of trying to bring in lay skills into the church and really make use of them. And I mean, although uh, it was under the, the stewardship of the Irish Bishops Conference, Veritas was a lay run uh, organization and it, it it benefited from lay skills. It required them. And I mean, it's it's closure is another reminder of just how difficult the uh, opportunities are for Catholics to dedicate their professional lives to, to furthering the mission of the church. I mean, at a time when we need more of it, we actually have less. And it's kind of indicative, I suppose, of the time as well, because we're all well aware, very conscious of the financial difficulties over the last decade. 
but it still was fairly unexpected news. It was a sudden announcement and then within a matter of, I, I suppose, an hour, it had filtered through and it had become known. But again, with us, you know, working in, in Catholic journalism, we had no prior knowledge of any of this happening. We knew of the financial distress, but not to this extent. Yeah, I mean, like uh, over a decade ago, the, mm. this, this paper, the Irish Catholic, was already questioning, look, how are they going to turn this around? Yeah. It's very, very difficult. They were looking at debts of a million euro plus. I mean, they had uh, the a failed venture to uh, incorporate or to introduce, I suppose, to conquer the American schools market, which really would have been very, very tough. Um, and that cost them that I mean, that's probably that's put them in a lot of strife for, for a good while at the time. They, they weren't even able to buy stocks for their stores at the time. This was 2014 or 2015. So, you know, that's that's 10 years of difficulties. Um, but yeah, it still comes as a shock. It's still a massive blow. And uh, the bishops are, are going to have to try and find a, a I suppose a suitable replacement mm. um, by by the end of the year. Mm. Moving now to uh, international affairs, but also there's an Irish context as well, and that's we're, we're all pretty much aware now of the the conflict that's been ongoing and being uh, sustained in northern Nigeria, particularly in northern Nigeria. Of course, par- most of Nigeria is impacted, but acutely northern Nigeria, where Christians are being persecuted on a daily basis. Now, I understand there was uh, a particularly unsavory episode there, or just before Christmas, where there were a number of of killings, possibly a massacre i think uh churches were 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 raided and uh people were shot and killed um by bandits now i know it's a contentious issue because even in ireland we've had some people attributing maybe climate change or you know other various factors and other variables but there's a nigerian priest who's based in ireland ruin who is saying that no we need to look at this maybe as a more so an ethno-religious conflict so what is uh what is what is his father innocent what he's saying what is he saying in 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 his parish about this issue in ireland yeah, so Father Innocent Suno, a thone based but from um, the Diocese of Madaguri in northeastern Nigeria, has spoken out quite strongly to us previously about the suffering of Nigerian Christians who really are in a, in a desperate situation. I mean, over Christmas, as you say, over 200 of the members of the Christian community were killed in attacks deliberately targeting them by Islamist extremists. And as you say, I mean, last year, I think it was, or maybe the year before, President Michael Higgins uh, was criticised for comments in which he, he claimed that uh, the uh, the killings, the attacks, were the result of climate change. I mean, what was interesting about the European uh, resolution was that they do mention climate change, but they say it's inflaming what are already uh, ethno-religious tensions. And uh, so it's, it's quite interesting, first of all, that the European Parliament have made a statement uh, condemning attacks on Christians. They've been, they themselves have been condemned several times over the past year, few years for not speaking out strongly enough against Christian persecution, tending to mix it in with uh, religious persecution in general, despite the fact that Christians are the most persecuted minority worldwide. But Father Insunsunu, while welcoming the statement, really said that words are not enough, that actions uh, have to speak louder than words here, that he invited members of the, the European Parliament come to Nigeria, come and see the plight of the Christian communities and, uh, as he said, of good living people in general who are suffering destruction and devastation uh, caused by their enemies. And he says, you know, it's it's about coming and seeing your brother and sister, your brothers and sisters in Nigeria uh, and seeing what they're really going through. So uh, he's really saying that you no, know, we can't. We can't sit by and do nothing. And I mean, this is the accusation often thrown at the the West, which is we're very selective in what we focus on. Um, and uh, Nigerian Christians really are crying out for for our support. 
Yeah, and, and given, I suppose, the volume of Nigerians in Ireland as well, it's amazing that there's not, I suppose, uh, much discourse, political discourse about this issue. We really only have maybe one or two or three politicians kind of routinely speaking about it. Others attributed, as I said there, to climate change or say, well, look, it's a direct consequence, you know, of uh, famine, starvation, people resorting to desperate measures, um, people being displaced. But what can we do, Ruan, I suppose, to raise this uh, from an Irish context? You know, I, I, because we do have... Uh, power we have a lot of power in the in the eu and you know we were a member of the un security council as well so there are forums in which we can you know assert our influence but we're, we're seemingly not doing it is do you think it's because of the christian dimension to this issue here well i think there's definitely a, an illiteracy around these mm. issues and it's not just our politicians it's, it's more culturally but it's certainly very acute when it comes to religious um, issues and i mean what's interesting is you know increasingly we're talking about pluralism uh, we're talking about the new Irish and the communities that they're forming here. But what seems to be lost in the process somehow is that the majority of these are Christian or devout Muslims. They are deeply religious people. And this just doesn't doesn't seem to be taken into context by the uh, the government or by the politicians. Uh, I mean, it comes up in the schools, quite interesting. You know, we had this divestment process uh, um, or pilot scheme rather in in schools, primary and secondary schools last year. And what was actually found was and many of the communities with New Irish in them were some of the most strongly opposed to removing Christian, Christian um, teachings, Christian ethos from the schools because they said, well, look, we actually came here because there is a space for Christianity, for this a public space for religion and it espouses these morals. And yet um, then why, why would you take them away from us? That's what we've come for. So I think there is a bit of a blind spot there. I think, yeah, I think we can address it in all the, the, the fora. Um, and also, I think, look, uh, people here in Ireland, you know, contact your TDs. Exactly. Let them know this is a, an issue yeah. for you that, that you want to raise. I mean, there's still like there's um, uh, Aid to the Church in Need. And I think is it the Open Doors uh, Foundation. So there's a few foundations that are speaking up for, uh, for, for Christians who are persecuted. But yeah, I think I think um, using a political voice here is important. Exactly. It's an issue of global concern. So it's incumbent on us to do our bit. Um, right. We're going to conclude here with, I suppose, a very startling statistic. And we, we, we discussed it actually pretty much extensively in this week's edition of the Irish Catholic. And that was a pretty disturbing revelation that a quarter of six year old uh, six year olds have smartphones, which I find absolutely incredible, like, you know, because of course, it's a portal to the unknown and uh, it's 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 compact. It fits in your pocket and uh, children need to be uh, well, parents need to be sure that there's some regulation there of what they're viewing. Um, so we have this mounting problem here, Ruan, where more phones are being given and supplied to children of a certain age. And we also have material and content that might be more harmful and easily accessible. Um, we also have a bishop in Ireland who was saying um, that there also have been statistics showing of late that children are most likely to encounter sexual abuse um, or, or various forms of abuse um, at, at a peer level, as opposed to maybe, you know, maybe caricatures of people lurking around certain places in public. So, Ruan, we have a monstrous problem on our hands here. We have the, with the advent of phones and then we have this, you know, children becoming used to certain harmful um, discourse and, and, and trends. How do we tackle it, Ruan? As, 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 as the father of, of a young child, how, how are you going to tackle it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult question. And uh, I mean, I suppose there is, there is need for some regulation around it where, where it's appropriate. But I mean, I think a lot of it does come back to parents and exercising the degrees of control that you can. Look, I mean, it's very difficult not to give 
a teenager a phone say because that's how he's going to organize meeting up with his friends it's how he's actually going to extend his relationships and so to some extent it's it's needed uh, i mean maybe maybe phone companies are able to provide more secure um devices i mean i know say growing up like uh the first phones we would have got would have been you know they would have had only one or two numbers in them yeah and you could have contacted your mom or your and they were very you. sturdy they were you, sturdy. you could hit them off a brick wall and they would still be intact <laughs> they would they would yeah. But I mean, as to young children, then I mean, I think really it's it's very tempting as a parent to give your child a phone because, you know, they demand a lot of attention and they take a lot of care of children. This is um, and it can seem sort of an easy option just to go. Well, look, here's here's a phone. It's going to entertain them for a little bit. But the exposure to phones like there's how many different studies showing the deleterious effects on their uh, memories, on their various different uh, mental faculties, basically you know the tension and and so forth so there's that side of it but then as you said there's the exposure to materials that parents just don't have any control over i mean for parents it is very concerning to think not just with phones but with laptops or ipads or whatever that your your child can be exposed to things that you just have no knowledge of and no experience of communities or uh, pornography certain views so it's it's a very difficult one for parents to tackle but i think that you just have to be proactive you have to know the boundaries that you want to create for your child because ultimately creating good boundaries is is what's going to help your child grow up and not be spoiled is the term i mean as to the last statistic like from uh, this is from the england and wales police force that they found that uh, of over 100,000 cases of child sexual abuse 52% actually involved children as the perpetrators that's, uh, which yeah. is which is terrifying it and, is it's frightening uh, yeah. and I mean a lot of it does come down to the overly sexualized nature of the content the hardcore nature of the pornogra- pornographic content that they're being exposed to at a young age and I mean yeah that needs regulation at a political level and it also needs very careful monitoring at a parental level and I mean look it's hard you send them out with their friends someone might have a phone even if they don't they are exposed to it but it's just you just have to do the best you can do mm. because uh, i mean as this is bishop don mckeown points out look a lot of the danger now actually in terms of sexual assault it's not from uh, older men or whatever it's it's from their peers and and that's deeply concerning i suppose it is the issue for you maybe education do we need more education rolled out into into primary schools because i remember you know the old mundane talk about people coming in about internet safety when i was about 14 we're all sniggering and giggling at the back of class but i think it's become a much more grave issue now shall i say given the access to content and how readily available it is um you know and, and particularly now that of course there's more advancement there with social media like whatsapp wasn't in existence when i was in school i don't know about you like you know but is it about education is it about robust education about teaching children look you know internet etiquette that this is of course but it, and on top of that we need regulation as well no denying that but it, it is is it about education are you going to personally educate your, your daughter when she gets to a certain age and say look i'm expecting this to be you know at your, at your you know available to you and at your disposal here's what i want you to do in response yeah i think education certainly comes down to it but it's probably mm. everything it's it's regulation it's governments engaging with social media companies mm. and uh, with media providers as to how they can better regulate what's actually on them um, and what children are exposed to it's about the parents being vigilant and being cognizant of what they're giving their children in in a smartphone and so restricting that in so far as they can it's about education in the schools then as well yeah mm. bringing in people with with knowledge and expertise in these matters for both parents and children uh, to be engaged in so yeah i think i think ultimately it's it's, it's a cultural culture-wide issue it's it has to be come out from a variety of directions and uh, i think 
parents who are concerned should should certainly make, raise their voices. Interesting topics there we've discussed. Hope you enjoyed that and hope you're uh, able to mull over what we discussed for next week. Uh, join us again next week where we'll discuss uh, more issues and topics concerning the Irish Catholic and just uh, keep you abreast with all the latest affairs going on in the country. So thank you very much for joining us.